take more risks earlier. Uh, he is well, deeply embedded in LA and the idea of, again, folks coming up with their own content, putting together a sizzle reel, dropping 50, 60 grand, and then trying to enter a shit show to try and get in front of the right network person and maybe on a lottery ticket getting a deal done that barely just covers their costs. He says there has to be a better way. Build Streamy. I don't know if I agree. He's put in four and a half million bucks of his own money. He's more aggressive than I am. I'd want to make money before I put in a dollar, but call me cheap. He's aggressive. He's got a big vision. We'll see what happens. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. They had no money when they started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is JP Fada. He's the founder of a company called Streamy with the mission to leverage technology to create new entertainment experiences. He's personally funded and operated multiple startups, including a production company creating non-scripted TV shows. He's, he is talented in the creation and deployment of cross-functional teams to launch concepts to market. JP, are you ready to take us to the top? I am, brother. Let's do it. All right. Talk to me about this. So, so let's just start. Let me, let me let you kind of just whiff for a second. Largest non-scripted TV show you've worked on that most people have probably heard of before is what? Um, we were involved. Well, actually, we were behind the scenes. So there was a couple projects that we worked on, um, which kind of led to the creation of this. Uh, one of them was Tobacco Wars, okay. which is probably the largest one that we, um, we worked on. And it was kind of our entry into the actual industry itself, right? So when we were doing these non-scripted, it was because uh, contact was kind of um, brought to me. We had a, a small incubation company domiciled in South Florida. And one of the guys, we were more focused, focusing on tech, um, but one of the guys brought somebody who was an ex-film producer, an ex-actor, sorry, turned film producer. And he was trying to break out in reality-based programming so we put together a slate of um, productions that we invested in, and he was going to actually um, utilize this to pitch to networks, um, which he had a lot of deep inroads into, but he couldn't make headway. Yeah, so we it's tough, by the way. So, I mean, you've seen a lot, but selling to networks is tough. Why is it so difficult? Uh, gatekeepers, right? Leverage. So they have showrunners. It's kind of an incestuous society, which kind of led to all of this. We realized firsthand by getting involved in that how much capital it was taken to actually develop sizzle reels, which were eight minute, the three minute to eight minute segments to pitch to these networks to have them actually fund. How it. expensive was is an average sizzle reel today, three to four minutes long? Uh, we were spending probably 50 to 60 grand every time we were creating a sizzle right? yep. at minimum. And the budgets were outrageous. I mean, and this was actually bootstrapped, right? So they'd spend considerably more sometimes. I think actually leveraging technology now. Um, leveraging relationships. A lot of people get into it at different price points, which you're seeing in the content that's being created now digital, digitally. Um, but at the time, these guys were trying to create high-quality production sizzles to pitch to these networks, but they were getting the door slammed on them. So I got integrally involved in the operational side once I realized that they were trying to, they were hemorrhaging a lot of money and we weren't getting any sort of um, 
any sort of road or, or pathway to any of this happening. And what is, I, what's the prize they're going after? I mean, let's say a sizzle reel gets to an exec, they like it. What is the size of the offer that, it, that, 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 that they're going to offer for, call it an eight, an eight episode pilot? Yeah, you're, it's amazing. They have different tier budgets. Well, first and foremost, if you're a new filmmaker and you're trying to break into the industry, almost near impossible to actually get a deal. But assuming that you do get a deal because you have some sort of a leverage position, then you get an override on the budget. I mean, that's it. You try to negotiate some back end, but most of those deals, the back ends are stripped out. So what you do is you try to package the content. You try to package all of the talent around the content so that you're managing the talent. So if the talents actually break out in year two and year three, you're getting a piece of that by managing them as well. So it's a whole actual package you put together and kind of a, a, a two-year or three-year roadmap. But most of these guys try to break it, break into it. They give away most of their leverage position uh, um, up front because they're trying to get the credits, right? The EP credits. The producer. So, so what would like an HGTV or an NBC, if they're buying an eight episode pilot, right? And really that purchase price is just covering the expenses of production. I mean, how much does it cost to produce a, you know, a 47 minute episode eight times? Um, well, I mean, the budgets are all over the map, right? Depending on the quality, depending, most of it is really going to be the talent. So at the beginning, you could probably negotiate 200,000 per episode, 100,000 per episode. But it can go up there. It can go up to a million dollars per episode, depending on the talent plus, right? Um, but at the very small level, and that's why non-scripted was so attractive to these uh, networks, is that the price point to create that content was very low, right? So they can actually create a lot of, and then it's all ad, ad revenue driven anyway for them. So where right? does where does Streamy come into all this? What's the company doing? How do you make money? Yeah. So essentially, what we did is we realized through this path that we were trying to um to into, we realized how tough it was to actually break into the industry on the traditional side during that same process we also realized that there was a heavy migration to digital right so things were moving towards digital um this was around the same time facebook was ipo had its ipo right um so you were getting a lot of of, of content that was picture driven even on social media video content was probably 30 to 40 percent of the overall content now it's eight 80% plus, right? People aren't even watching as many pictures as there, unless they're Instagram, but most of it is video-based content. So we saw this entire shift happening, but we saw that there were inherent problems with this shift happening, right? So even present today, a creator or a publisher that's actually trying to um, develop content, to distribute content digitally, still has to go through certain gatekeepers as they did on the traditional side. You know, the Netflix, the YouTubes, and all of these companies, whether they're on the user-generated side or a closed-end system like Netflix, most of these publishers and creators are still beholden to them mm-hmm. in some capacity, right? You see YouTube stripping away. Yeah, so JP, of- what, tell us specifically, what does Streamy do? Is this a page where I can host my, my episodes as I build them myself or what? It's a do-it-yourself yeah, platform? This, this is a complete self-managed system. So there's three options available to a publisher right now. UGC, which is user-generated like YouTube. Closed-ended, which you sell out to Netflix because Netflix is not uh, licensing as they're much acquiring, or do it yourself, right? Where you have to deploy your own code, you have to, uh, to utilize some sort of a platform to do it. We developed a system that basically is a self-managed system that gives creators for the first time the ability to control the entire life cycle of their content, from packaging and publishing, to distribution, to monetization, to marketing, to promotion. And, and what does the average customer pay you per month for this? It doesn't. It's a shared revenue model. It's going to be free. 
to them. So we're developing a platform and supportive services that's really going to be free to the publishers, and we're paying them 60 to 80% of the monetization. Okay. And monetize. So, so are you pre-revenue today? We're pre-revenue. We're pre-commercialization. We're commercializing and launching at the end of the year. Okay. And how are you, how are you funding yourself right now? Did you just raise a bunch of capital? We're self-funded today. So we're now entering in. We're now beginning to talk about um, doing a future fundraise upcoming. Mm-hmm. How much, um, if I'm asking, because I mean, you're in the thick of it. You're in the trenches, baby. I mean, how much of your own money have you put into this thing? We've spent probably close to four and a half million. And where's, where's that money gone mostly? Is it to the developers? Yeah, to the development, to the operational side of the business, but mainly to the development of this. I mean, we spent a year in R&D, right? Figuring out the process methodology, figuring out the business model, having focus group tests, testing it with the industry, our industry partners, um, and actually going through this whole rite of passage to develop this entire business model that is disruptive, that will actually favor the creators for the first time and put all of the, the, um, the tools and the resources and the capabilities in their hands. We've all heard of Drift and Intercom and these other messaging companies that are reaching multi-billion dollar valuations and raising hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's why customer engagement company Freshworks is jumping into the game with their new product, Fresh Chat, which helps engage website visitors, convert them into customers, and retain and support those customers to become happy, engaged users. Now, Freshworks is valued at $1.5 billion and has more than 150,000 businesses around the world using them. Their new product, FreshChat, differentiates from the market because one, they've got channels to create focused message threads and threading. Number two, it's self-service inside the messenger. Number three, they have a lower price point, mainly because they have revenue from other revenue streams. It allows them to get away with a cheaper price point. And number four, it's specifically built for marketing, sales, and support teams. If you want to try Fresh Chat today, you can do so at nathanlacka.com forward slash Fresh Chat to turn visitors into leads and customers into happy, engaged users. Again, sign up for a 30-day free trial. It's a beautiful thing. So easy to sign up. nathanlatka.com forward slash Fresh Chat. I'll see you there. So JP, people are going to listen to this, especially if they're watching the YouTube version and they're going to like you because you seem like a cool dude and they're going to go, why, why, why has he spent so much, even if you're wealthy as hell, why has he spent so much money before driving his first dollar in revenue? I mean, why can't you pre-sell this kind of thing? Um, we could, we looked at that model as well, right? So even if we pre-sold it, which means we'd have to charge the publishers something up front. Um, and the entire company's mission was to create a disruptive system. We know that the money is going to come once we develop something that creates a new content category into a market, number one. And number two, really for the first time favors the publishers. I keep saying that because the whole focus of the company, having gone through this rite of passage, having been involved in the industry for a number of years, having seen what's being done, creators don't have an opportunity to do what they love, which is actually create content for the rest of their lives. Most of them are not business savvy. So they ended up they end up giving away entitlements and ownership and control of the pie to every intermediary that comes that takes a, and a lot of times it's exploited, right? Yeah. Well, so JP, how is this? I mean, the closest thing I can think of to this right now is something like Patreon. People who create videos will gate videos there and their subscribers can pay a monthly fee to watch video or they can pay per video, et cetera. Um, How are you different from that? Yeah, Patreon is a great crowdsource mechanism. Um, Tipping donations and actually prepaying for 
for publications. That's one piece of it, right? Which is one piece. With us, we have a flexible monetization system because not all content is monetized equally. You can monetize it with ad revenues, so you can get free content. You can monetize it with VOD or pay-per-view, right? Rentals, downloads. You can monetize it with SVOD, which is subscription-based revenues. If you're a large enough network or broadcaster that you have multiple channels and multiple pieces of content, and then you can use the crowdsource approach to tipping and donations. So where we're different in a lot of people is the tools that you get, number one, to package your content, the distribution platform that we put together, which is going to be streamy, is one umbrella ecosystem, and all of the different monetization and marketing promotional tools that you get. And in addition to that, the supported services the company will do from branded entertainment, product placement, um, revenue analysis, and working with our publishing partners to maximize their revenue potential. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you're thinking about doing a raise later this year. How do you think about how much you want to raise and, and what would you use the money on? Uh, we are talking through that. So I don't have specifics on the actual number that we want to raise, but it will be north of $10 million. Uh, we're also exploring some creative opportunities right now because part of our technology stack uh, that we're developing on has elements of data, big data and analytics, which is, again, going to be given to the publishers for free so they can utilize that as insights to create better content. The second is uh, AI or machine learning and elements of AI that's going to be in place into that for a more immersive consumer experience that's more preference driven. I don't know if it's you, but most people will tell you that they spend more time looking for something to watch than actually watching content on these platforms. How do you, though, figure it out? I mean, if you're going to raise $10 million, your pre-revenue, I mean, you've got to figure out how to convince people that you're worth 30 or 40 million bucks without any revenue if you don't want to get really diluted. How do you do that? We, we think, well, first of all, we think we're worth a lot more than that. But um, yeah, but JP, I'm just, I'm just talking for my <laughs> audience. They're going to be listening and going, he has no revenue. How is he worth anything more than zero? Well, correct. Okay. So it's, that's all subjective by the way, right? It is. It is. But I mean, listen, so, convince me though. Why are you worth a hundred million bucks today? Oh, because well, we think we're worth a hundred million bucks because of the technology. Well, first of all, if you were forecasting just on net present revenues based on a future projection, you could try to justify that. You can also justify it by the business model and the audience size that you want. You could justify it by your technology, your IP and the protection over that IP. You could justify it. Do you have protected IP today? Uh, we're in the process of protecting, yes, yeah, some of our, some of it is trade secrets and we're uh, going into patent pending on uh, a lot of process methodology. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want people to check out when they hear you say, well, we're going to value based off future projected cash flow because people just project whatever the hell they want to project. Right. Agreed. But this, this is quantifiable, right? Because there's enough data out there through what's being done in the, in the ecosystem or in the digital sphere to actually quantify some of this analysis as well. Do it for me. Uh-huh. Like, what are you quantifying? What are you measuring? Is it like minutes watched, number of publishers you project they're going to be using you? I mean, what is it? Yeah, well, we have a duplication model. So simply put, we have a self-managed system that's an invite only. Then we have a hierarchical structure within that that we can power multiple different levels of publishers. So we can power anyone from a channel uh, influencer all the way up to a broadcaster that owns a broadcast that bundles networks, that bundles channels, that bundles content, right? So within that hierarchical structure, we could power multiple levels of businesses. Within each level of business, we have some revenue analysis on each type of publisher level and what they mean in terms of a, uh, a, a revenue potential uh, return, or sorry, sorry, a revenue potential to the company. 
So we've taken that analysis and built a financial model based on that. And then it becomes purely a duplication model at that point. So, right? what, so what valuation do you hope to raise at? Uh, we're hoping to raise probably north. Well, again, your audience is going to think we're crazy. But no, we that's okay. What is it? What's the number? I mean, I, I don't know. But north of what? North of 90 million. North of nine. Okay, listen. If you raise sometime in the next twelve months at north of a ninety million dollar valuation, uh, I, I will come out. I will. I want you know something I don't. I'm taking you to steak dinner. I'm learning all your secrets. All right. Done. All right. Done. I'm, I'm going to hold you to that. That's hey, hold. Part. Go ahead. Hold me to it. Uh, you, you better believe it. Buddy, <laughs> I, I'll turn. I'm a vegetarian, but I'll turn a carnivore. <laughs> <laughs> Not 100% guaranteed. I want to tell you the last part of this that we're doing, which is really important, is that we're developing analytics and data and a heavy insight engine. We're developing um, AI and we're developing against blockchain as well. Right? So one of the cool things that we're adding into this, because we're a transparent model, because we're a disruptive model, we're adding in a layer on the transactional side and the rights management side and we'll include blockchain into it. Yep. So we're really excited about that as well. Very good. All right. Uh, let's wrap up here with the famous five JP. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, you know what I love? I love the hard thing about hard things. That's a good one. Uh, number, number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? Uh, Elon Musk. Number three, what's your favorite online tool? Favorite online tool? Uh-huh. So probably Trello. Trello? Yep. All right. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Five. Five? Hi. What and what's your situation? Married, single, you have kids? I'm married with three kids. Mm. 16, 15, 14. Married and three kids. And how old are you? Um, 45. Right. That's amazing. Last question. Take us home. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Oh, good question, man. If my 20-year-old self knew, I would have uh, probably uh, taken more risks a lot earlier. Guys, there you have it. Take more risks earlier. Uh, he is well, deeply embedded in LA and the idea of, again, folks coming up with their own content, putting together a sizzle reel, dropping 50, 60 grand, and then trying to enter a shit show to try and get in front of the right network person and maybe on a lottery ticket getting a deal done that barely just covers their costs. He says there has to be a better way. Build Streamy. I don't know if I agree. He's put in four and a half million bucks of his own money. He's more aggressive than I am. I'd want to make money before I put in a dollar, but call me cheap. He's aggressive. He's got a big vision. We'll see what happens. JP, thanks for taking us to the top. Nathan, man, thank you, brother. Anytime. Looking forward to the steak dinner, brother. (laughs)